Last few weeks we've been talking about an extension of our church's vision, which is move beyond. The idea of we want to always be moving beyond wherever we are in our faith to something greater that God has for us. And the extension of that is that when we start out to move beyond wherever we are, sometimes we get stuck. We have great intentions, we make progress, we get along down the road some, but it, there comes a time where we just kind of get stuck. And so that's what we've been looking at. About January and February would be a great time to do it. Just stuck, you know, like stuck in the snow. I mean, they're illustrations probably as you came here this morning. But anyway, we're going to talk about getting stuck and how to get unstuck when we attempt to move beyond wherever we are in our faith. Uh, today is an interesting one. A delusion is the belief held in the face of evidence to the contrary. And consequently, those who are delusional tend to resist all reason. And a lot of times, Christians in the world are accused of being delusional. In fact, Sigmund Freud called religion a system of wishful illusions together with a disavowal of reality. Actually, I think there are some would-be followers of Christ uh, who do, do have a type of delusion, though not in the sense that Freud thinks we do or that some in the world think we do. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25 that actually illustrates what I'm going to talk about today. It says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. You know, someone is faced with a decision, and so a particular way seems right to them by their own way of thinking, so they take that route, or they follow that direction in their lives. It's based on reasoning. To them, it makes sense. They make the choice, and they follow through. It appears to be right. So you might say, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, God gave us the ability to reason and to think for ourselves. Yes, he certainly did. And God certainly wants us to use wise judgment when we make decisions. There's nothing wrong with that. Where the delusion comes in for us, though, is when we think that our own reasoning and our own ability to figure things out trumps everything else. And for us, who are believers in Christ, we need to be careful that our reasoning doesn't trump what God's Word says for us. If it seems right to me, it must be right. The writer of Proverbs says that's a dangerous attitude to have. It may appear to be right to you, but you need to be careful. Because if it's the wrong choice, it can lead to death. One way that we find that that manifests itself, at least in society, is the idea of, of moral relativism. And simply stated, that's, uh, we can all decide for ourselves what's right for ourselves. That there are really no moral absolutes. We all kind of make up our own minds. You decide what's right for you. I'll decide what's right for me. And we'll all get along just fine. And kind of the individual attitude is the idea that it's right for me because I believe that it's right for me. Now, you know, people who live under that particular delusion don't really want to be bothered with facts to the contrary, and they certainly don't want to be bothered with biblical evidence to the contrary. But every day we see devastating effects of that moral relativism. We see the devastating effects in society, we see it in families, and we even see it in churches and religious institutions. That idea that what's right for me it's got to be right because I've decided that it's right for me. And facts don't really matter. 
But there's another dangerous one, and this is one you can actually picture in your minds. This kind of a delusion that we live under. I call it the delusion that there is this giant heavenly scale. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, this big scale, you know, it's got places on, on either side. And here's the delusion that goes along with that. There are many would-be followers of Christ who believe that in the end, God is going to add up all the good things you did and put them on one side, and he's going to add up all the bad things you did and put them on the other side. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, then you go to heaven. Now, that makes perfect sense by human reasoning. I mean, it makes perfect sense for us in our minds to think, well, if, if, if the person does more good than they do bad, haven't they kind of earned their way into heaven. It, it seems right to us, but as the proverb warns us, uh, it leads to death. And in this case, it's not just a physical death, because we're all going to die, but rather it's a spiritual death that's an eternal and an irreversible kind of death. And a lot of times, folks who are, are kind of stuck in this delusion that, that there's this giant heavenly scale, basically what happens is they, it leads to a false confidence because when they consider their lives and they think, well, I've done more good than I have bad, so, so I must be okay. And that's really a false confidence because according to Scripture, it's based on a false premise. So the big question, though, for us as it relates to this particular idea is, is just the simple question, and it's the question that we all have to answer for ourselves, and it's the question that's the most important question you'll ever answer, for that matter. And the question is this, what are you counting on to get you into heaven? What are you counting on to get you into heaven? In other words, what are you putting your confidence in? Are you putting your confidence in the fact that you've done more good than you have bad? Are you putting your confidence in the, your ability to reason and to figure it all out? Are you putting your confidence in the idea, well, I just believe everybody's going to go to heaven when it's all said and done. But it's vitally important that whatever you answer is truth and not delusion. Because confidence in the wrong thing, the writer says, leads to death. Today, if you happen to be stuck in that delusion or if you know someone who, who maybe is, we want to talk about how to get unstuck from that particular idea. And to do that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in the 18th verse. A certain ruler asked him, meaning Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. I need to start out by saying this guy is a great guy. This guy is a nice guy. He's a man with great potential. He's very successful in life. He's respected by others. He holds some kind of ruling office, probably in a court. He's a man of manners. He has morals. And at least he has an idea uh, or a heart for spiritual things because he does come to Jesus. And it says he kneels down and he, and he asks him, you know, what, what do I have to do here about these spiritual things? So I, I just want to say at the very beginning, in every way that we know of, this is a fine young man. He really is. But the first clue that there might be something missing with him is the way he addresses Jesus. He comes up and he calls Jesus good teacher. And you might wonder, well, why does Jesus correct him? Because isn't Jesus a good and wise teacher? Well, certainly he is. 
But in that day, no Jew ever called a rabbi good. You didn't do that because God alone was good. So we don't really know, though. I mean, it's a a nice guy, like I said. And when he calls Jesus good teacher, we don't know if he's just trying to flatter Jesus or we don't know if maybe he's just kind of commenting on Jesus' accomplishments. We really don't know if he's misguided about who Jesus really is. We don't know. He may have been just nervous, and that's what came out to begin with. We, we can all speculate. But Jesus doesn't let the, the, the comment go because Jesus replies. He said, look, in case you've forgotten, I'm just going to say it so that everyone hears it, and so you hear it if you've forgotten it. He says, only God is good. Don't call me good. Only God, God alone, is good. The idea that goodness is not a human quality, the idea that your achievements are not a factor in determining your goodness. He says, look, only one is good, and that's God. So he sets that at the beginning. And and maybe it's just kind of a subtle way of saying to this young man that, that look, as we continue with our conversation here, young man, um, I, I just want you to know that, that your goodness is not going to factor much into this conversation we're going to have. And then maybe the not-so-subtle message for us who would read this centuries later is pretty much the same thing. is just the idea that when we get into this conversation about our own eternity... Uh, We just need to remember that that God alone is good, and our goodness is not going to factor much into whether or not uh, we get the right answers here, or it's certainly not going to factor into whether we go to heaven or not. So Jesus just kind of says that right up front, sets the standard. But the man also has a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) It's not a bad question. I wish more people would ask that question. I I really do. I wish more people would ask that question. But it all depends on what he means. I mean, if if he comes to Jesus and he says, look, Jesus, I want to inherit eternal life. What is it that's required? What what do you require, Lord, for me to inherit eternal life? If that's the question, it's a good question because he's seeking an honest answer. But if he's coming up to Jesus and if he's saying, look, what do I have to do to earn my way into heaven? Then the guy's got a problem. So Jesus doesn't really answer his question immediately. He really wants to test to see really where this guy's heart is. So here's what he says in verse 20 and following. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. The guy gets excited. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus actually answers the guy's question by pointing to the Ten Commandments, actually to the part of the Ten Commandments that talk about interpersonal relationships. I believe this guy's sincere. I really do. I believe this guy was really sincere. When he, when he proclaimed, I, I've kept these since, since I was a boy, I, I really believe that he had made an effort, a good, hard, honest, conscious effort to keep these commandments. He, he had really tried. He was trying to live a good life. But what he didn't understand was that the, the Ten Commandments are not really talking about so much what's on the outside as they are what happens 
on the inside. And Jesus' response to him is, that's good. I'm glad you've kept all these since you were a boy, but there is still one thing that you lack. Now, Jesus doesn't mean here that there is one more thing you need to do to earn eternal life. That's not what he's saying. He says to this guy, he says, look, you need to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. It's not a question of this guy actually going through the act of selling and of giving it to the poor to earn his way into heaven. That's not what this is about at all. Jesus knows this guy has, is, is pretty well off. So when Jesus says to him, you need to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, what Jesus is, is testing in this young man is his desire to surrender everything he has. It's not the act of selling and the act of giving. It's rather what's in his heart. Are you really willing, Jesus says, to surrender everything to me? Are you willing to do that? That's what you need to do. You need to surrender everything to me if you are really going to follow me. We can't gain eternal life by keeping a list of do's and don'ts, even if it's God's top ten. That's not how it happens. I hear people say all the time, you know, I really try hard to keep the Ten Commandments. And, I, and my response is, that's wonderful. We should all do that. That's a good thing. But where we need to be careful is that that's not going to get us into heaven for two reasons. One, it's impossible for us to do totally. Because what Scripture also says, if you mess up on one, then you've messed up on the whole thing. It's not an 8 out of 10, a 7 out of 10, a 9 out of 10 kind of deal. It, it's basically, the law is you keep it all or you don't keep it all. There's no in-between. So it's impossible for us to do. And even if we do a really good job of it, it still doesn't earn our way into heaven. You see, the law and the commandments are intended to be a mirror. They're intended to be a mirror that show us how dirty we are. When we look at the Ten Commandments, it's a mirror, and it shows to us how dirty our lives really are compared to the holiness that God wants from us. But see, the mirror can't wash us. It can point it out to us, but the mirror can't. And it's that way with, with the Ten Commandments or the whole of, of God's law in the Old Testament. It can bring us to Christ. It can show us how we are sinners compared to the perfection of Christ. But they, in and of themselves, can't bring us and make us like Christ. They can point us to Him. They can draw us to Him. But they can't make us like Him just by keeping. And the same thing is true for us as it was for this young man. The way to find eternal life is by surrendering Everything that we have. Everything. Not possessions, though that's a part of it. But our hearts, our wills, our desires, our wants, everything, surrendering it to Christ. A lot of us are, are kind of stuck in the delusion that if we're just good enough, but I think that a lot of folks are going to be surprised uh, when they hear Jesus say, well, that's great, you, you were good, you did some good things, you, you were great, but there's still one thing you lacked. You, you never really surrendered your heart and your life to me. It's impossible to earn eternal life 
through good works. Verse 23 goes on. It says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus does not say here that money and riches are bad. Jesus does not say here that it's a sin to go out and make money. That's, that's not what he says here at all. The point he's making is sometimes that the more we have, regardless of what it is, the harder it is to surrender. Uh, not just money. The more pride we have, the harder it is to surrender. The more strong-willed we are, the harder it is to surrender. So it just happened to be money in this guy's case, but that does, Jesus is not saying here that that's what's wrong. The, the, the argument and the idea here is that he needs to surrender everything. But the disciples are confused because in Jesus' day, if you were rich, that meant to them that you had found God's favor. Now, there's some people who believe that still to this day. There's some people who preach that still to this day. But that's not what Jesus is saying. And the disciples think, look, if this guy that's rich, if this guy who has all this favor from God can't get in, their question is, well, then who can? Who can get in? If this guy can't get in, who's been blessed by God, then how in the world do the rest of us stand a chance? And here's what Jesus says in verse 27. Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, I'm probably like a lot of you. I have quoted this particular verse of Scripture just on its own. And when people are facing a really difficult time, uh, I, I've said this verse to them. I've said, look, look, it may appear like an impossible situation, but you've got to realize what's impossible with you uh, it, it is possible with God. You know, you, you may not can make it happen. You, you might not can move your mountain, but God can. And I've used it. A lot of us have used it in that context. But you see, in this context, and in the context in which Jesus said it, I don't think he's speaking in generalities. Now, yes, I believe God can move your mountains. But what Jesus says here, when he says, look, with man, it might be impossible. But with God, everything is possible. He's talking about who can be saved. He's saying, look, look, man can't do it. What man can't do, earn his way into heaven, purchase his own salvation. What man can't do, God can in fact, in Romans 8, it, it says for, for what the law was powerless to do, for what the commandments were powerless to do, for what works were powerless to do, Paul writes that God did it by sending his son. And so what Jesus is saying here is, look, give up all your delusions about how you get into heaven. What's impossible for you to do, God has made possible, but he's only made it possible one way, and that's through his son. It's impossible for us to gain eternal life through our own strength, through our own reasoning, through our own works. 
Eternal life is only possible because God makes it possible through his son, Jesus Christ. Again, Romans 5 says that when we were powerless, when we were powerless to do anything, especially related to our own salvation, he says Christ died for us. Eternal life is only made possible through God's grace. And we don't earn it. We accept it as his gift. The truth that shatters the delusion about we can be good enough to get into heaven is that the Bible says that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of God's glory, that none of us are good, that none of us can be good enough. It's impossible for us. And the Bible says that if we claim that we don't have sin, then we're delusional. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us is the way the Bible says it. And the Bible says that the penalty for sin is eternal death. But because God can make all things possible, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, only by believing that Jesus is indeed who he said he was, and only by confessing that we are sinners and that we are powerless to save ourselves, and only by repenting of our sins and accepting his death on the cross as payment for our sins and surrendering our lives to him, can we hope to become like him and spend eternity with him. And if we're trying to do it anywhere else, then we're living in a delusion. What's impossible for us to do, God has made possible. And that's through the death of his son. Don't try to do it any other way. You can't. Let's pray.